0: going to invite you to be seated. We're going to dismiss our kids for playing outside. They're going to get to run around and then we're going to give them more candy than what you would prefer as a parent. We'd like to welcome the Holy Ghost is back here about halfway back on the left side. <laughs> Praise the Lord. So good. We should just come in costume once a month, can we just right? Can we just just say you learn about people? Vanessa, I'm, I'm a motorcycle salesperson. Vanessa said that doesn't count. See, people judge even in costuming. Said, oh, I got my Kevlar jeans on. Your motorcycle boots are for riding, but you put your comfy shoes on when you get there. So I'm just I'm, I'm in the part trying to work out a year's worth of insurance with Flo, but yeah. Thank you, Shani. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Hey, I'm going to break a little bit from the series. If you've been with Tracking with us for any amount of time, you know we've been in a, in a series, The Moral Dilemma, and, and uh, I just as we were worshiping last week, I knew I was going to be on, on deck tonight, and I just felt like God dropped some things in my heart for the men. So I'm going to preach about a little bit about manhood Tonight we're going to be back on track next week. But just just leading up to the election, I just I did just want to say this. I was reading in Titus this morning, and uh, so many of Paul's epistles, he begins by talking about grace and peace. Grace and peace be unto you. He talks about praying for them to have fine grace and peace, and those are two important words for us. I was praying about it this morning, prayed that, uh, those two words over our, our nation and our pre-service prayer. See, grace is what enables me to maintain a relationship with God, but it's peace that makes it possible for us to maintain relationship with each other. So I just pray, whatever the outcome of this election is, if you are a devoted follower of Christ, I hope that you will stand for grace and peace above all else. That you will not let the outcome of this election displace and draw you out of your relationship with him, and that you will certainly not let it draw you out of a relationship with one another. Grace and peace to you, come on, in Jesus' name. We're going to be back on track next week, Lord willing, uh, with The Moral Dilemma. Sharon Thomas is going to be preaching on the 14th. We're always in a treat when she shares. She opens God's word up for us in such deep ways. I'll be finishing the series on the 21st. And then Pastor John we're so excited, one of our partner churches here uh, at this facility with LifeHouse is going to come and preach on uh, the 28th, the 28th. So let me just, I want to talk to some men tonight. I, I feel like this is going to be a prophetic moment for some men. I, I feel like this is part of who we are as a church, that we pray, we, we put together a plan, and then sometimes God changes that plan. It's not for ours to ask why, it's just ours to say yes. And so I believe that God is going to connect some dots for some men tonight. I love that we had the privilege, Tim, who was drumming, who drums for us often, had his five and six-year-old here and was setting them up down there and, and uh, you know, giving them the parental instructions. And, uh, and we said, why don't you let them come sit with us? Why don't you let them come sit with us? She was worshiping with all of her heart, and he was doing every kung fu move that he knew. Little did they know they are setting me up for worse for my message. It's like God's like He needs an illustration. It's like they they were there in that moment, if you saw them, powerful. Because I want to talk about David the warrior and David the worshiper. And you saw a little bit of that in each one of those children tonight. 1 Samuel 17, 1 through 16. 1 Samuel 17, 1 through 16, the Philistines now mustered their army for battle and camped between Sokah in Judah and Azekah at Ephes Saw Saul countered by gathering his Israelite troops near the valley of Elah. So the Philistines and the Israelites faced each other on opposite hills with the valley between them. Then Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, came out of the Philistine ranks to face the forces of Israel. He was over nine feet tall. He wore a bronze helmet, a bronze coat of mail, weighed 125 pounds. He also wore bronze leg armor. He carried a bronze javelin on his shoulder. The shaft of his spear was as heavy and thick as a weaver's beam, tipped with his iron spearhead that weighed 15 pounds. Come on. His armor bearer walked ahead of him carrying a shield. Goliath stood and shouted a taunt across to the Israelites, Why? Are you all coming out to fight, he called? I am the Philistine champion, but you are only the servants of Saul. Choose one man to come down here and fight me. If he kills me, then we will be your slaves. But if I kill him, you will be our slaves. I defy the armies of Israel today. Send me a man who will fight me. And when Saul and the Israelites heard this, they were terrified and deeply shaken." I'm going to jump down to verse 16. It says, for 40 days, every morning and evening, the Philistine champion strutted in front of the Israelite army. And if you don't know this story, you can find it in 1 Samuel 17. Many of you are familiar with the outcome. This young boy by the name of David, one of Jesse's sons, future king of Israel, slays this giant with a sling and a stone. It's one of the great stories of Scripture. But I think sometimes we forget that David was probably only about 16 years old on the day that he did this. 16. right? In modern society, we're just trying to get our chis- kids to learn how to drive at 16. Right? T- times, times were different then. By the time he killed Goliath, he had already killed lions and bears, just doing regular household chores. I don't know about you, but we had a, a chore board in our house, a chalkboard wall, and, 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 and kids were always right, trading our kids. If you do this for me, I'll do that for you. They were trading, vacuuming, unloading the dishwasher. David's sons were trading, killing wild animals in the wilderness. And growing up then was different than it is Today. I believe that some of you here, you've read these stories, you're hearing it now, and there's, there's something inside of you as a man that you long to be a warrior that slays. You, you, you want to be perceived as dangerous. It's why we're drawn to movies like Saving Private Ryan, Braveheart, The Avengers, Punisher, Daredevil, James Bond. I, I watched last night The Last of the Mohicans just to get my heart ready for this message. Come on. Right, You just want to stand under a waterfall one time and say to your wife, just stay alive! I'll find you no matter what! We're never going to actually look as good as Daniel Day-Lewis, but maybe we can get the speech right. Come on. If you've never read the book Wild at Heart by John Eldridge, you should if you're a man, if you're married to a man, if you are a parent of boys, read that book. We'll talk to you about this longing and this desire inside of a man to be dangerous. I know for me growing up, my two heroes were John Wayne and Tarzan. On Sundays, Tarzan, Johnny Weissmuller, the former Olympic swimmer, black and white. Anybody as old as me grew up watching that? And if I was not good in church, that was my punishment. I was good most of the time because I wanted to watch Tarzan when I got home later that day. Modern society is civilized, so we learn to slay now in a different way, through sports, business, high-risk hobbies, traveling adventures, as men, we, we want to conquer. We want to be dangerous. We read these stories like we find in 1 Samuel 17, and something inside of us says, I want to be that warrior. I want to be the the man that, that rushes past the people who are trembling and afraid and into the fight and do things that others thought were impossible. Our dream is to be that warrior. 2 Samuel 6, starting in verse 12, then King David was told the Lord has blessed Obadiah." Actually, let me. I'm going to jump up to nine. We've got time. Let me back up to nine. David was now afraid of the Lord and asked, how can I ever bring the ark of the Lord back into my care? If you're not familiar with the story, the ark of the covenant, right, the sacred icon of Israel, they're trying to bring it back. It's been away and when they tried to bring it back, they did it in the wrong way. Someone touched it and they died, so now they're afraid of it. He says, how can I ever bring the ark of the Lord back into my care? So David decided not to move the ark of the Lord into the city of David. Instead, he took it to the house of Obed-Edom of Gath. It's interesting, isn't it? A little parallel there. If you're paying attention from where Goliath was from. The ark of the Lord remained there in Obed-Edom's house for three months, and the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and his entire household. Verse 12, then King David was told, the Lord has blessed Obed-Edom's house. And his whole household and everything he has because of the ark of God. So David went there and brought the ark of God from the house of Obed Edom to the city of David with a great celebration. After the men who were carrying the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, every six steps. See, one of the things, the mistake that they made last time is they were so excited about bringing the ark back, they didn't follow all the the rules and the laws that were laid out in the Mosaic law, if you're going to travel with the ark. So so now they're they're going back and, and now they're keeping in with the instructions of the Mosaic law. Every six steps, David sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. Every six steps. That's a bloody parade right there. And David danced before the Lord with all of his might, wearing a Priestly garment. So David and all the people of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouts of joy, and the blowing of rams' horns. And as the ark of the Lord entered the city of David, Michal, the daughter of Saul, looked down from her window, and when she saw King David, this is David's wife leaping and dancing before the Lord. She was filled with contempt for him. This is an important verse for us. It's it's another sermon for another time. We've taught on this, what happened to her because of this, and the prophetic story, that plays out. But I'm sharing this with you tonight because I want you to understand the recklessness with which he worshipped. He he worshipped with such abandon that that it seemed beneath, beneath the dignity of being a king this is an important verse in here just in case someone were to try to to minimize the expression and the passion with which David brought to his worship man I'm just I'm going to tell you tonight you might want to be the warrior that we read about in first Samuel that might be your dream But God's dream is for you to be this warrior. See, God has a dream for you too, man. He has a dream for you. And his dream is for you to be this warrior, the worshiping warrior. And what I would argue to you that David was just as much of a warrior in this story as he was in the other. It is not a contrast between a warrior and a worshiper. This is God trying to say to us, this is warring in the natural, and this is warring in the spiritual. And if you're a man, he's put something inside of you to want to be dangerous, not to draw you here, although for some of you, that's your calling in this life, but that's a temporal calling. And some have that and some don't. But he put this desire in us to be dangerous because all of us, as men, are called to be a warrior here. Here. This desire to be a warrior, listen, this is what secularists will tell you. Secularists will tell you that this, this desire for, for us to be warriors as men is, is left over. It's, 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 it's part of, of, of what mankind was before we were civilized, and it's just left over in the aftermath of evolution. We don't believe in that. That's not part of our biblical worldview. See, this desire to be a warrior is not left over from a time in history that is past. Sure, this desire helped us meet a practical need in society, and still does today, right? Law enforcement, military, and other people. We, we need warriors, practical warriors in society today. I get it. I understand it. But not all men are called to that. But this fight that he has put in us has always been first and foremost about standing against the forces of evil that are at work in this world, trying to destroy God's great plans to redeem and rescue this world from sin and darkness. God made you to be a warrior. There's a reason why you're you're, you're drawn to those movies and those stories. There's there's a reason why those things resonate inside of us. It's because God created you to war for him in unseen realms. Ephesians 6, 10 through 12, I'm not going to go there and read it for the sake of time, but many of you are familiar with that text. It says that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers On high. I've entitled this message Dangerous. I I could have done a subtitle. I can't see it. See, it's hard for us because in the first Samuel story, we see the enemy, we see the threat. When when David was out tending his father's sheep, and there was the lion or the bear that came to steal a sheep, and he went after that and grabbed it and fought it and killed it, he, he could see it. He understood the threat. So much of Scripture is given to us to talk about this unseen realm, especially in the New Testament, because God knows in the natural we can't see it, but it doesn't mean it's not there. And what I would argue it's more real than anything in this natural world. Jesus said heaven and earth will pass away, but His words would never pass away. And that realm that we will all one day step into, it's eternal. So I would argue learning how to be a warrior in that realm is far more important than warring in this one. And I want to give you three, man, I want to give you three characteristics that every man should have if you're going to war well in an unseen realm. If you're going to war well, if you're going to be victorious... You, you need these three things. The first one is integrity. Integrity. Every person, whether listen to me, whether you are a devoted follower of Christ or not, you have a moral code. There's something to be said for what's called universal morality. Every person has at least a baseline of a sense of right and wrong. And if you're a devoted follower of Christ, then, then you should have a pretty strong moral code. And what I would say to you is if you are going to war well, this is where it starts. Because the greatest weapon that the devil uses against you is your own insecurity that he stirs up from your own moral failings. And men oftentimes draw back from the fight for Jesus because they feel unqualified because of the lack of purity in their lives. You've got to honor your moral compass. Did David make mistakes? You better believe he did. Did he make some of the biggest mistakes that are humanly humanly possible? You better believe he did. But he did not let those mistakes define who he was. When he lost his purity, he fought to regain it. See, there's there's just this powerful parallel between warrior in the natural, right, and warrior in worship. When, when, when they would lose battles, when they would lose ground to their enemy, they would fight to regain it. He did that in his personal life as well. We must also. You've made mistakes. I've made mistakes. You've got stuff in your story you're embarrassed about. i got story, stuff in my story I'm ashamed of. We will not let those things define us. You've got to move forward and regain the ground that you lose and stop losing that ground, right? At some point, start winning those battles. Start winning those battles. Fight to maintain your integrity. Honor the moral code. Listen to your conscience. Trust the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Find some fight, would you? In the face of temptation. Find some grit in the face of temptation. Integrity. You've got to have integrity. Vulnerability. David is one of the most vulnerable warriors in history. If you don't believe me, then read the book of Psalms because David wrote a lot of it. It's one of the most vulnerable books that you're going to read in the Bible. He would continually lay his soul bare before people and other people in God. If you're going to be a worshiping warrior, if you're going to be a warrior in the unseen realm, if you're going to be a warrior for the kingdom of God, you have got to find a comfort level with vulnerability. Listen, man, you've you've got to find a group. You got, you, you, David had what's called his mighty men. Jesus had the disciples, and even within that, there were concentric circles. Why? Because there's degrees of vulnerability that we feel safe with. You've, you've got to have a core. You've got to have a handful of men that, that, that you can tell everything, who, who, who you've given them permission to ask you anything, and that you're going to answer always truthfully, And you're going to give that same gift to some other men. You've got to have men in your life that you're willing to be vulnerable to. This is important because it goes hand in hand with integrity. If you don't have vulnerability, then you're never going to have integrity. You're not going to do it. You're going to hide in your shame. You're going to stay in your sin. At best, you're going to walk in duplicity. At worst, you're going to be in all out rebellion. You've got to have a small group of people that you feel a sense of responsibility to. And then it goes out from there. You've got to have a sense of responsibility for how your life creates ripples and impacts lives of people around you. And when you're struggling, you've got to have some people that you can reach out to. You've got to have some people in your life. We, we, we talk about this all the time. Permission-giving relationships. that they're no, gives you pause. Integrity, vulnerability, and I'm going to give you this last one. This might surprise you. The last one is hostility. you got to have hostility if you're going to be a warrior for Jesus. Not in the way maybe that you would think. And maybe you have hostility and you've directed it in the wrong way. And what I would say to you, don't get rid of it, redeem it. Don't get rid of it, redeem it. There has to be a hostility in you as a man if you're going to wage war for Jesus in the unseen realm. If someone were to walk into this sanctuary right now, if you're watching from home and someone were to kick in your front door and begin to assault your family, I'm assuming that if you're a man that there's going to be a hostility that wells up inside of you maybe that you didn't even know was there. You were going to fight. You don't care about the consequence. You don't care about the repercussion. But there is something that will well up inside of you to protect people that you love. I tell men all the time. I use that analogy all the time you got to turn that side of you loose more often. God forbid that you would ever have to use it in the natural, but you better be using it all the time in the spiritual. Find some hostility, men. Find some grit. See, see when it comes to spiritual things, men like to say, well, my personality doesn't really lend itself to that kind of passion and expression. I get that. But if someone breaks into your house, is that what you're going to say as you stand by and let someone assault your family? Did you do anything? No, my, you know, my personality doesn't really lend itself to that. What, are you kidding me? I get it. Your personality might affect the degree to which you engage in some type of outward expression, but you better at least cross the threshold of passion. Come on. Regardless of your personality. Regardless of your issues about being conspicuous and seen and observed. If Jesus hung naked on a cross to die for the sins of the world, you better find some comfort level to be public with your love for him. Find some hostility in your worship, in your prayer life. As you're reading the Bible, all the other... Pathways that we talk about and teach here at City Life. If you don't know what those are, then you can get one of those little green books that are free in the back. Because I got a question for you tonight, men. Does the devil think that you are dangerous? Or is he just dangerous to you? When the devil thinks about you, does he see someone who is a danger to him? I want to be a danger to evil in this world. I want to be a danger. To the enemy of my soul. I want to be a danger to the enemy of my family. I want to be a danger to the enemy of the kingdom of heaven. I don't want to cower in fear at the danger that they represent. A warrior that slays is a warrior who prays and worships and serves and gives and fasts and gathers and reaches and rests. All the things that we say are necessary for you to be spiritually vibrant and strong integrity, vulnerability, and hostility. If you are complacent, then you are complicit. If you are complacent, then you are complicit. There's no neutral ground in this fight against evil in this world. Be counted. Be spiritually violent in standing for the character of Christ and it forming in you and your family and your children. Father, I pray that some dangerous men are going to walk out of this room tonight. I pray that some dangerous men are going to be born into homes that are watching online tonight. I pray that some dangerous men are going to be counted in the kingdom. Unashamed. Unashamed. Jesus of you, how you've called us to live, the morality that you call us to uphold, the virtues and values that you expect us to demonstrate and walk in, As evil continues to assault this temporal world, let it be that an army of devoted followers of Christ, men, would rise up with integrity, vulnerability, and hostility and push against the gates of hell until you come home. In Jesus' name, come on, and everybody said together Amen.